reports of Cartoon Network's death have been slightly exaggerated, so of course you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadets? Meep, meep. supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello, and welcome to This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, it is my pleasure to bring to you a friend and a omni-nerd in her own right. Uh, she's a freelance writer. Please welcome Tamara Brooks onto the show. Hello. Hi, Tamara. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Hi, it is my pleasure to have you and to talk about these topics with you. So we will be discussing Frizz Freeling Fair, where he played around with the literary horror short, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, most notably in Jerkle Hyde, which stars Sylvester and Alfie instead of Spike, and Chester the dog, uh, both dogs going up against Sylvester the cat. Would you want me to dig up a bit of a bone for you, Alf, old boy? Would you know, Alf, anything you saw is a bit of all right with me. Nah, nah, you wouldn't like that. Nah, nah. I saw you, Alfie. I was about thrashing a cat. How would you like that, Alf? How would you like that, Alf? Blimey, lad, did you say cat? This was a unique one because it had Sylvester taking the Hyde formula, and I had actually never seen it before. Oh, interesting. Um, I was at the New Beverly, and they were doing a Halloween selection of cartoons for their Saturday morning in the month. And they chose this one and it was slightly terrifying. Mm. If I'm being honest, there is an element of this short where Sylvester as the monster slices up Alfie and he falls into pieces. Yeah. Little tiny dices. And the way the clumps are like animated, I was, I was very disturbed by this. You know, I, Having experienced basically all of the Looney Tunes shorts only on TV, I can't even imagine what translating that to a large format and seeing that for the first time. I would imagine quite a bit of it was horrifying, honestly. Like some of the visual gags, are, I mean, they're great, but like if you really think about it too much, they're really gross. So it's that, and it's that interesting yeah. juxtaposition as these cartoons started out as for adults, largely. And then they found out that kids like them. And so then they started making more of them and they kind of changed the tone a little bit. It's a little bit like, um, you know, Batman, the animates series versus the adventures of Batman and Robin, where it became essentially more kid friendly, but did it? <laughs> totally. No, absolutely. And, you know, you know, whenever you find these more adult centered or, you know, I guess general audience centered cartoons, you are taken aback a little bit by just how graphic they can get, mm -hmm. but it also adds to just the variety within the franchise. You have, you know, the gamut in the classic Looney Tunes, you know, and they, they, they become horrific in some scenarios. Mm -hmm. And now that Looney Tunes cartoons is doing them, you even have, uh, you know, their own version of, Bugs Bunny dying, and uh, it's it's really disturbing. The uh, Looney Tunes account on Instagram posted a clip of that mummy dummy section mm -hmm. where the mummy tears Bugs Bunny apart, and it's red and everything, and 
And then uh, they cut out the ending, which is Bugs Bunny cracking his back and going, oh, thank you for the massage. Yes. But if you cut that out, like it loses the uh, the looniness of it and it just becomes horrific. Yeah. So I guess that's what they were going for. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cartoons in general, like the more slapstick the cartoon, the more akin to body horror it is, really. If like you really, really break it down. Because it's always like you know, the coyote falling from large heights. Uh, it's very final destination, you know, getting, tra- you know, getting yes. in, uh, <laughs> caught under a, a piano, you know, going through barbed wire and being little, the little chunks bit, repeated gag, plays a lot. Um, and I also, I, I vaguely remember as a kid during this time, you know, Halloween time, watching Saturday morning cartoons, when it gets to the Looney Tune block, they would always run kind of the same, not the same, but like, kind of the same block, you know, you get the witch hazels, you get, you know, the high uh, variations. Um, and so really interesting to be an adult and then go back and watch them because, you know, you're a kid. So you're just like, oh, funny. And then um, then you're like, you kind of start thinking of the implications a little bit more as an adult. And it becomes, yes, like, like you're saying, much more terrifying when you really think about it or if you do little specific edits on that. Um, yeah, really freaks your being, man. Yeah, freaks your no, being. <laughs> and Fritz Freeling loved doing suspense. He has Birds Anonymous in his repertoire, and that was a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon that really started out almost like a Hitchcockian film, where it's just in silhouettes, and it's Sylvester, you know, trying to catch Tweety and um, sneaking up on him while he's in his cage singing. Um, it's it, just something that I was noticing while watching these because there's a trilogy of them where it is the first one was with um, the first, this was the first one uh, where Sylvester took the formula. And then the next one is where bugs took the formula. And then the last one was from 1960 and Tweety finally took the formula becoming the classic monster Tweety that needs to be on more, more merchandise. It's the only form of <laughs> Tweety that I would um, like on merchandise, frankly. Um, there you go. um so i actually came across a rare uh essay written on this and what i found interesting was this small snippet i'd like to read to you and see and get your thoughts on freeling shared with hitchcock the bravura talent for portraying the psychological process of anxiety and morbid dread accompanying a character's contemplation of a grimly terminal crisis in which he finds, or maybe he just thinks to himself to be. So um, just like having something be uh, like this terminal dread, uh, such as when Alfie is, he goes into the room to beat up the cat, but then turns like he sees that it's a monster cat and then like is pale white and he comes out of the room and, and he doesn't want to go back there. And, you know, Chester is like looking up to him and being like, Hey, like you're the leader. Like, you know, you, you can take this cat like I because every time Chester turns around Sylvester is regular size yeah and just that anxiety that Alfie feels is I think unique to the Looney Tunes franchise because I don't think there are many cartoons that really go out of their way to put characters in anxiety ridden situations unless it's Courage the Cowardly Dog yeah I mean no it's true <laughs> like there's the existential crises that various Looney Tunes characters feel almost at all times is why like particularly and i think this might kind of deal with why i i my some of my least favorite looney tunes pairings for cartoons were always 
uh, tweeting Sylvester and Roadrunner in Wiley Coyote because I just feel they just they were very repetitive and they were very like you know I started to feel bad for Wiley he's just trying to eat man and I understand (laughs) that the Roadrunner did not want to be eaten but it's just you know it is hard for me to separate the and then you know then Sylvester's just a cat and like you know also when you're you know I'm an 80s 90s kid you know when you get to that point there's that juxtaposition where Tweety and Sylvester kind of become friends after a moment so sure then seeing the old one yeah so when when you see the older ones when they're like coming at it and like a lot of terrible things are happening to Sylvester I still get those kind of like oh poor babies but like you know (laughs) especially during this period Sylvester is very very like he went through a lot (laughs) in like the 60s cartoons you know a lot of like I just you know just the standard like really like crazy but the the sort of you know the the zigzag eyes you know when he's like really having like basically a full-on meltdown there's like things where he's like shakily pouring coffee you know like just a lot of that kind of stuff and you know speaking of dread and things like that like the the duck tracy cartoon um also has that kind of sense of dread and horror when they would cut to all the bad guys like the way that they're framed you know there's a lot of like you know uh, dramatic angles, the, the 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 lighting on them is very scary, and um, I don't, you know I don't know what year that's from, but this feels like it's the same period. Uh, it is around there. Uh, yeah. The Great Piggy Bank Robbery is yes. uh, what you're referring to. Yes, where Daffy dreams that he is a Doug Tracy type character, and mm-hmm. that is definitely in the same vein. It was different director though, uh, so different animation unit, but the the sense of dread is definitely ever present within Looney Tunes and you know once one director does it another director is going to want to ape them or you know try mm-hmm. to do it better or different and or with their own character you know because you know that was Daffy and this is Sylvester so yeah that's uh, that's a really good take and I, I want to get to the news uh, yes. and then we'll get back to some Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde history in Looney Tunes but first we have Cartoon Network doing massive layoffs and changing up their structure as the merger continues to take shape and reform the entirety of Warner Brothers. And that is a true detriment to creativity and the management over there. Um, We have, you know, David Zaslav at the top, and he's attempting to, you know, make up for some of the costs of the merger. um, And he's trying to find uh, $3 billion in this post-merger savings uh, venture that he's on. That, and it's just... That, really by the scary. way, it does not include him not taking a paycheck. Because that could be oh, a lot yeah. of savings, because no. I'm sure he's getting paid a lot. But he's still getting paid, by the way. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, this came at the same time that uh, Cartoon Network turned 30. And they put out a really funny tweet where they were like, you know, we're, we just turned 30. We're not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, for a lot of kids... I think you look at the age of 30 and you're like, yeah, that's close to death. Like, mm. you know, you're almost there. 30 so old, you think, when you're so nine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it was funny for Cartoon Network to play on that. Mm-hmm. But I do know that there have been a lot of losses over there um, on the employee side and, you know, beloved people that had been there working for the company for a really long time. And just the, the way animation has been being treated is really unfair and i really hope that they are getting through this restructure soon so that a way they can rehire people maybe fill some of the positions that they stopped 
filling because ultimately there were 125 jobs that were left unfulfilled uh, when they started laying people off and the jobs that they weren't hiring for anymore. So, you know, that's a huge amount in one department. And I just, I can't imagine what those people are going through, but I wish them the best. And I really hope that they secure a new job soon. Yeah, I, I, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, I don't think I know anybody in that department personally that would have was affected, but it kind of doesn't matter because this is horrific. It's a, like, it's a bloodbath, you know, it, you know, in terms of, you know, if we want to talk about in Halloween terms, you know, there's all these people are getting fired for reasons that we kind of can't understand, um, you know, and it's both terrible for the people who are left and terrible for the people who got who got uh, laid off. And so, yeah, I, t I too wish them, you know, speedy, you know, recovery in terms of their new gig. I hope whatever it is, is bigger and badder and bolder than what they were doing already. And I hope we really get to see what everyone, I, I hope we get to see everybody shine. And that that is on both sides. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this. This is wild. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to, when the news was first, you know, dropping, it was very hard to look at it from a pure logical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I try to look at, you know, as a entertainment reporter, um, who also does opinion stuff, you know, and, and you know, talks about inclusion and diversity. I definitely have my opinions, but when I see this right. news, I try to approach it as logically and, you know, without emotion as possible to see if, I, you know, there's two opinions happening basically, but it was very hard to separate the feeling from the news in this case, because if you take it in context with everything else that's been happening, it seems like, from an organizational standpoint, from the boss, you yeah. are targeting marginalized communities who are within your company and who these shows were created by and for. Because, right. you know, Craig of the Creek and the spinoff, Jessica's Big Little World, both of their season orders got cut by significantly. Um, Jessica's Big Little World is 50%. I can't remember how if, it, if Craig of the Creek was also 50%, but it was a very large number. Um, Craig of the Creek, one of the biggest shows, one of the most popular shows that they have. Wild to me that they would cut yeah. that many episodes from either show. Um, if you look at the stuff they got that got t taken off from HBO Max, you know, largely marginalized communities. The creators are not people of color or women or, you know, any, you know, LGBTQ plus people. Like, that seems to be the majority of stuff that's getting taken off. Batgirl, which that's is targeted stuff. Yeah. mind blowing mind-blowing that they would take like a movie that is you know 70 percent done right. that then now not the time but now has a golden globe winner and a presumed oscar winner also as one of the top three build names wild stuff um so it feels like every decision and every bit of news that comes out is a terrible bit of news that is further leading to the destruction of this company. That's what it feels like. Now, it's very unfathomable at the decision making behind the scenes because yeah. yes, on one hand I understand it like you want to try to make your money back, but on the other hand it's like you've already spent 
70 million dollars to make this thing mm -hmm. and then you're only going to recoup like a quarter of that back by doing a tax write-off yeah. and then not only that but there was also the scoob project there mm -hmm. was a holiday scoop scooby-doo movie yes. by tony cervoni and that got canned even though they still had to score it like because they were finishing it they already had the money mm -hmm. in the bag to finish the film and now it's just sitting there in limbo. We don't know what's going to happen with it. And projects but, yeah, that, like what is happening? Yeah, and, it, and it'd be different if the projects seemed risky, but these are two verified strong IPs. You know, I don't think any of the Scooby-Doo stuff has really not hit in some capacity. You know, not everybody might like every other thing, but every single thing finds an audience. So, right. and, and frankly, you know, congratulations to everybody that's been working on Scooby-Doo for the past 20 years because you guys, they've been killing it. Like every single thing they've done has been really, if, if not stupendous, at the least extremely interesting, you know, and, yeah. and also, I mean, you know, the Scooby Natural, the Wacky Racers with the WWE, like brilliant, uh, Mystery Incorporated. Uh, yeah, amazing stuff yeah. that they're putting out. Um, so, and a new movie. And a new, movie. a new Halloween movie just in just in time for Halloween. Yeah. So they so they 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 have the track record to be able to get out there and they they have a proven track record. So it doesn't make sense to get rid of that. And then Batgirl. I'm sorry, uh, Marvel people, MCU fans. I'm going <laughs> as an elder nerd. Let me tell you uh, that your uh, your personal favorites were not even cracking the top ten of uh, market saturation prior to Iron Man. Yeah. They just weren't like nobody in the Avengers was a was a well known. Every single Batgirl was more well known than every single Avenger that was in the MC like the MCU version. The only, yeah, they, they weren't even household names. No. Like you would ask your mom or your grandmother like who Captain America was, and they'd be like, um, I don't know. Yeah, they just <laughs> had like the Hulk was the only one that had any kind of uh, you know general pop culture knowledge penetration thanks, right. thanks to the you know the, the series in the late 70s and 80s so yeah yeah and nobody knew iron man and everyone hated them sorry if it was for robert Downey <laughs> jr that all would have went down the drain real talk <laughs> um so yeah so very wild so but now let me now i talked about the emotions of it let me take step take a step back from my emotions and talk about sam register now sam register has been a law around for a very long time in, in the Warner animation world. He was working a lot with the DC pro properties. He is, you know, responsible for helping a lot of your faves get established. Like he just, he's and all... he also helped bring back Looney Tunes in and, a big way. Exactly. So, so it's that for the DC, he brought, I'm sure he has his hand in a lot of other things that are interesting that are happening. So he has a proven track record of making good decisions with animation. Um, granted, the vast majority of the work that I, that I would talk about, because I'm on the sort of nerd space side of entertainment reporting, was all like kind of DC stuff. But yeah. you know, a lot of his IP work, very smart in terms of the stuff that he greenlights and the stuff that he helps foster and the conversations that he makes. So there are worse people for Cartoon Network to be under than the Sam Register. In fact, this is oh, probably yeah. the best case scenario for Cartoon Network yes. is to be under Sam Register. I would agree. Um, so the panic is acknowledged. The panic is, I mean, honestly, you're right to feel it, it, you know, based on a bunch of other decisions going on. But in this case, based on who is in charge over there, 
Sam Register is honestly the best shield you have to keeping Cartoon Network even close to what you've come to love, you know, growing up. In fact, yeah. he might yeah. even be able to. Advocate for that. Yeah, he's a great advocate of that, and he might be able to push even more new stuff than we would have been able to outside, you know, in its in its in its current structure. Now, are, we're worrying about uh, money. Where's the money to come for all this stuff? Fair, very fair to worry about that, um, considering how penny pinching they seem to be, and also considering how they want to. The the Zaslov era seems to want to mine IP a lot even though cartoons are, or animation in general, is probably the easiest to get new ideas off the ground. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, the future is very unclear, obviously, but yeah. I feel like the worry in this case is less warranted. Well, I mean, we also have a lot of projects that are in limbo, such as the Looney Tunes features. We have a Batman show yes. that is not you know, housed anywhere at the moment. I'm sure it will be picked up by somebody. Um, Those are also a lot of very mind blowing decisions that I just, I don't understand. Exactly. I just don't get it. Um, What is happening? (laughs) Yeah. What is happening? (laughs) I don't understand. Um, So yeah. All we can do is, all we can do is, you know, uh, look at it from the couch and be like, okay, on the outside looking in, here's what I see. It worries me. Yes. And I feel for all these people getting let go. Yep. But, you know, I do trust Sam Register. He was the big advocate for getting Pete Browngard on Looney Tunes cartoons, which is a phenomenal series. And I love talking about that show. It's just so unique. And, you know, if you haven't watched the Halloween special, highly recommend that for the season. And uh, there are more shorts coming. So, like, it's going to continue um, for a little bit longer, at least. Um, There was an original order for a thousand minutes, and I think they hit that quota. So now we just got to wait and see if there's going to be more. But I want to do take the time right now to mention that uh, Pete Browngard posted on his Instagram last week uh, a cake that had Bugs Bunny on it. And it said 25. Hmm. And it was in front of the orchestra. And they were scoring their last, seemingly last Looney Tune uh, for this series. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to start a panic button just yet. Uh, It is not confirmed, but I do want to send a huge thank you and appreciation to everyone involved in those cartoons. And Josh Mosier, one of the composers on the Looney Tunes cartoons, and yes, they had a full orchestra for Mm -hmm. these, which it had been a really long time since they had that. Um, he wrote a really heartfelt, like musical, like, thank you. Um, so, you know, it is, there, there's a lot of love over there for that series. And as much as I wanted to keep going on forever, I know that's not the case. I know that will have a definitive end, but as long as it is still in process of coming out and, and there's more stuff to talk about, I will continue talking about those shorts. So, but yeah, um, Sam Register, great guy. I'm really glad that, you know, he's, looking over the animation department, at least. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, rightful, uh, you know, very understandable uh, reaction to panic when a lot of this news comes in. But also, one thing to keep in mind is that the smarter executives, which I believe Sam Register to be, um, will always try to keep talented people in the fold. So even if a project that you loved got scrapped or even if something ends earlier than it really should because of work 
you know, has been good, that doesn't mean that person will not come back and do more work within the same universe or maybe get something interesting in another IP or in something original that they've been working on. So there's still hope. You know, it's hope is a, a thing that feels very rare right now. I think everybody feels a lot of panic for various different things. But hope is a good thing to remember because it helps buoy us and it helps, you know, uh, take a little bit of the, you know, shines a light in the little dark corners. And I feel like, you know, this is kind of a dark corner. So just remember, there's there's yeah. always hope for the future on this stuff. Absolutely. And I also wanted to continue the conversation as we had some developments uh, between then and mm -hmm. currently recording. So now we have news, thanks to Gizmodo and Sabina Graves, my wife and co-producer of the podcast. Yay. She uh, wrote that James Gunn is the new head of DC Movies and TV alongside Peter Safran over at Warner Brothers. And that is great news because not only has James Gunn been a part of that uh, franchise and or that company already with Suicide Squad. He also one of his uh, first roles as a uh, you know as an executive. I think as I think as a producer as well. Uh, he wrote this first Scooby Doo movie and then uh, subsequently the second one. And so he's been working with that company off and on in between Guardians movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, you know I think he's he's a really strong candidate for somebody to give the WB lexicon a, a big push in the right direction and, you know, having him be a guardian of sorts to those characters, I think is really strong. And he's also a producer on the upcoming Wiley Coyote film, mm -hmm. Acme versus Coyote or Coyote versus Acme. So yeah, I'm really excited to have him on board for Warner brothers and I'm excited to see what he does alongside Sam register for the animated department. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's one of those things where there's been so much news lately. Once that dropped, I was like, I don't have the capacity to process this at this moment, because I think that was like Friday when that dropped. Um, yeah. So that was a really interesting to kind of like pop up in my brain as I'm trying to go to sleep uh, and what that could possibly mean. I'm it's a, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating choice and it's a it's it's a fascinating. You know, it's like, what is he going to do? You know, like, what is he going to do? Like, what and who is he going to have also on his, you know, extended team? Those are just very interesting questions. And, you know, we'll see what ends up happening as we go forward. But I also feel like, you know, this is a, a bit of a silver lining, even though all the news the last couple of months has been uh, just an onslaught of, like, what the hell, what the, what, what's happening, what the heck's um, so yeah, it'll be really, really fascinating. And also that with, in addition to the Henry Cavill returning a Superman news, yeah, you know, very interesting. Um, I still would hope that they would change their minds about, uh, Batgirl and actually come back because another thing about it is, uh, the directors directed, uh, the last bad boys movie, which was actually quite enjoyable. So they already have a big budget action movie under their belt. So I don't understand why there would be any questions about what they could possibly do in addition to, you know, this Marvel work. So I, I know it's, it's, 
questions. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot yeah, of questions. it's the Riddler over here. Uh, yeah. the, Riddler, the Riddler is plaguing Warner Brothers. <laughs> Just a lot of questions. Um, so a little statement from the CEO and president of Warner Brothers for th this announcement was uh, from David Zaslav saying, their decades of experience in filmmaking, close ties to the creative community, and proven track record thrilling superhero fans around the globe make them uniquely qualified to develop a long-term strategy across film, TV, and animation, and take this iconic franchise to the next level of creative storytelling. And, you know, Gunn is no slouch when it comes to knowing DC characters. And, I mean, he he goes for, like, the rare and obscure. I mean, you watched his Suicide Squad movie, and, you know, like, half of that cast is, like, really bizarre one-off characters. And that's what he loves. Like that's what he brings to the fold. And yeah. I think with uh, Superman and like the bigger ones under his somewhat guise and like uh, control, I think it will allow for more stories to be told and better stories to be told than we've gotten previous. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we'll get broken out of this rut of the same three characters. Yeah, all the time, everywhere. Like it doesn't kind of like uh, you know, there's such a vast particularly in the magic area of DC, there's such a vast, you know, world that you can really, really lean on to make, I mean, like the fact that there hasn't been a books of magic uh, adapt adaptation by now is wild to me. Like as soon as Harry Potter hit, they should have been on that. Um, yeah. This, this could have been, this could, but, but now prime time to usurp that audience, which is very disgruntled, uh, very rightfully so, uh, to get them an uh, unproblematic magic boy. Can you tell us the uh, tell the, the listeners who is in Book of Magic? Oh, who uh, the characters or who? Yeah, oh, right. Well, the characters is basically um, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting everybody's names. Well, basically, Books of Magic is about the second coming of a magical, essentially uh, chosen one, and one of the okay. characters is. Uh, a guy who is King Arthur, but his sword is a bat now. And um, it cool. is by Neil Gaiman. So that's honestly just books of magic by Neil Gaiman. Like what else do you really need to know? Oh, and of course yeah. there's the question of, is this chosen one going to be good or is he actually going to be bad? So that's a thing that kind of goes through it. There's the original book that ran, I believe eighties, nineties. Uh, and they also uh, did a recent run, which I haven't picked up yet, but I'm, there's, there's going to be a lot of eBay comic buying for me uh, in the next couple months once I move. Um, but, you know, just a very interesting, like a super, super interesting concept. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there's also uh, books, of, uh, no, Leave It to Chance, which is a, uh, about a girl who is a detective in a supernatural world because her dad's a detective. So she goes out to do cases and she has a little dragon buddy. Um, super cute. Love that one which I believe oh, is cool. Casey. So there's a lot of stuff. And then also, you know, Tracy 13, who is featured here and there on places, her her magic is city magic. So her magic changes depending on what cities she's in and what the inherent magic of that area is, which I just think is a really cool concept. Um, and that's, that's really cool, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, that doesn't even, you know, the Justice League Dark, we've had animated movies about that. So, you know. Zatanna yes, and Constantine. Yeah. yeah. Everybody that is in that realm definitely you know, deserves their due yeah and you know zatanna hasn't even really had anything solo in the you know she you know she appeared in smallville and she you know she had you know appearances here and there but you know preeminent magic user needs to have some you know and also just conceptually a magician 
who was also an actual magician. <laughs> it's, just great. it's just a great concept. It's just a great concept. And you can do so much with it. So it'll be, I hopefully be able to break out of sort of, it's always the Joker. It's always, um, you know, I mean, the Superman villains kind of get a little bit of variation on it because um, we've had, but then once there is a variation hit, then he kind of becomes overused like Metallo. Metallo was not very well used for a while. Then he got popular because of the animated series and now he kind of gets used all the time. So now we kind of have to like, that's great. We have Mattel who used to be like a, like a, like a, a list, not quite a Z list. He's like, you know, higher, but not so high. Um, so now yeah. we have to kind of get these other dudes. And the fact like this, I think Mixoplick, which is not how you say it, but that's how I learned it when I was a kid. And I've never <laughs> been able to say it right after that. Um, he is such an interesting character to potentially use given the right, because, you know, Superman dealing with someone intellectually and not just from a power perspective is always an interesting way to go as opposed yeah, to Yeah, no, punch. absolutely. All, like already I'm already 10% more on board yeah. if it's uh-huh. a, you know, a smart thinking villain yeah. uh, and a heady villain over a physical villain. And also I have many ideas for Wonder Woman that I will not pitch on this <laughs> podcast, but uh, James going to get at me. I have at least three different variations of that that I can pitch you like right now. So Love it. All right. Well, we wish those guys the best yes. and that we, you know, continue to see the DCEU and the DC films grow uh, with Matt Reeves's Batman universe, as well as, you know, whatever is going to happen with Henry Cavill's Superman movies. Yeah. And if that's going to break off into something else or if it's still going to remain part of everything else. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll be on the lookout for that. So yes. it's exciting either way. But yes. Um, so now I wanted to talk a little bit about some beloved uh, you know, the, I, so going from the duality of what is happening at Warner Brothers mm-hmm. on the animation versus the film side, I want to talk about the duality of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, where you have a evil scientist, not an evil scientist, he's a mad scientist who creates a concoction that really brings out this very disgusting creature. And this fascinated one of the classic Looney Tunes directors to no end. And he's the only one who's directed a short based on an adaptation of this story, which is fascinating because I know for a fact, everyone over there, especially Chuck Jones was big into horror books and like the literary minds of the time. So the fact that no one else decided to adapt this Robert Louis Stevenson novel like this is really fascinating to me because it was only frizz and in all the interviews that are in the archives and on youtube no one asked him about it Mm. no one asked him about it they may not have realized perhaps at the time that is true yes that is true because some of the director cards uh didn't really play before the um you know the saturday mornings they didn't play and Mm -hmm. like you know they would like do some editing off the front so that makes sense and well, now we notice it, and it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I well, would like to know this history. Yeah, and it's also interesting because I think because they're so referential to not just, you know, the pop culture of the time and of all times, right, but also literary stuff. You know, there's the um, Witch Hazel thing where there's a whole Hansel and Gretel joke throughout the whole thing. Um, yes. Hansel? Uh, which I also... Hansel? Yeah, to this day, I quote out of context. 
console. Oh, I love that. Yes, uh, I yeah. do too. Yes. Uh, and so, you It know, really made an impact. It did. And then also, you know, the Mad Scientist riffs. There are a lot of, you know, there's quite a few cartoons, the little Mad Scientist guy, whose name I don't remember right now. Um, Dr. Frankenbeans. Thank you. Frankenbeans. Huh. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm surprised I didn't remember that at this moment. It's, it's, it's the after work day mind uh, frazzle. Um, no, you're good. You're good. So, yeah. So there's a lot of monster references there's a lot of fairy tale references there's like those things in there so people may not have realized that this particular short that is just a straight up adaptation was outside of the realm of what they normally did which is also i mean goes to, to speak about the brilliance of everybody working on these shows that you can do these sort of things and um people are just like all right it's just kind of cool and they don't you know the the layers of of just like even inside the company references just very smart riffs like arriving them for all times essentially yes so the first one of these is called dr jerkles hide from 1954 again directed by frizz freeling and this had the characters already established two years ago of chester and in this alfie because it's a british version of Spike and Chester. Chester remained the same (laughs) for the most part, but Alfie has a thick uh, English accent here. And uh, this is their, honestly, like 2022 is the 70th anniversary of them appearing in a short, which was Tree for Two in 1952. Um, Spike is voiced by Mel Blanc. And Stan Freeberg voiced Chester in both of these. And, I, I and will, it's just... Oh, sorry, I will sorry, say that. that Stan Freeberg did try the British accent. It just did not stick a lot in it. So bless him. He did give oh, it there a we shot. Go. He did give it a shot. <laughs> it just, it just wasn't... It was equivalent of me doing an English accent, which is about, I can get a couple words and that... So yeah, they just left Chester as, you know, American (laughs) for the most part. Um, But really bizarre. However, I don't know why they needed to make it British. This didn't have any British context at all, like location wise or anything like that. They just, for whatever reason, transposed them from, I guess, the Bronx to uh, England. So yes, but Mm -hmm. highly recommend watching this short because I saw it um, thankfully in a theater uh, which is a really rarity and I've only seen like a handful of these in the theater. So I'm really glad this was one of them, but like the artistry of watching an animation on the big screen is unremarked is remarkable. <laughs> it's unbelievable <laughs> and remarkable. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Unbelievable and remarkable, unremarkable mm-hmm. <laughs> all the way. And you can really see like the rotoscoping and like the, the, the backgrounds and how it's layered and it's just wonderful. So, um, you know, this is the story of these two dogs who are bullies to each other, which is terrible in mm-hmm. its own right. And I don't know where that comes from. Uh, maybe, you know, Frizz was bullied as a kid. I really don't know, but it, these characters maintain that. And their arc is that they go from, uh, the big one bullies the little one until the big one gets too fearful of something, whether it's a escaped jaguar in mm-hmm. Tree for Two or Monster Sylvester in this. And then Chester takes out 
the evil threat and or uh, Chester just, you know, realizes that the bigger dog is a coward and then the big dog becomes the abusee of the uh, small dog. And I guess that was funny back in the, the 40s and 50s. Very unhealthy. I don't think it plays very well now. No, no very unhealthy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, because yeah. I don't, you know, again, it's that thing of like, how much was edited when I was a kid and how much of it do I just not remember, you know? I'm going to get to that because there was a scene that was edited from this short mm-hmm. that I had never seen before. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you should, should I just talk yeah, about that let's now? Talk about now? Yeah. And then we'll go All back right, to the, so, we'll go back to the top. After that. Perfect. Yeah. So there's a scene where it's right after they realize that Sylvester can be a target. They see uh, the, the big dog sees Sylvester go into a little box, a little cabinet. And uh, he goes, I got you now, pussycat. And then walks over there. It's a terrible British accent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even try. Hey, listen, we're high. And, no shame. It's difficult to do. <laughs> Let Chester roll, and man. So, so uh, he goes, um, come on out, pussycat. I know you're in there. And then the monster Sylvester, you hear like the chemical working. And then he just like mutates into this larger giant of a, of a cat. And then he scratches Alfie and then Alfie walks out and Chester's like, what happened? What happened? Did you get him? And Alfie's like, nah, or he goes, did you hurt? Did he hurt you? And uh, Alfie goes, nah, it was just a scratch. And then his nose falls off. And like the, the lead up to this though is, and this is what was cut was uh, after he grew into the monster, he starts doing like a surgical incision oh. around his mouth. And it's terrifying. That is awful, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was cut out of all of the Saturday morning cartoons you watched as a kid. Yeah, definitely did not see that when I was a kid. You can watch it on my Instagram. <laughs> I made a little clip of it uh, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. As a treat. You can have a, a little, little uh, extreme Looney Tunes body horror as a treat. Exactly. Yeah, it was definitely body horror. And my my mouth was agape. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what was in here? Like, I can see why they cut it, for sure. Uh, American censors are very strict. And, uh, yeah. you know, wow. It was, um, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, that, I mean, even just the backhands that Chester was giving him at the end, I, like, yeah. I was like, I don't remember those but again could have just control deleted it from my brain uh at, at the very time possible. very possible um yeah it's very you know it's very interesting so okay so i have one theory about why they made them british i think they made them british because the approach was supposed to be of this story and since it's a british story i think they were like yeah let's just put them in britain I think that was like an internal decision that was not actually reflected in any of the animation because it doesn't look like oh, they're in okay. Britain particularly. I mean, they could be, who knows? I mean, they're like in some, you know, they're in some warehouse buildings. I mean, they could be anywhere. They don't look like any place in particular. So that, that is my theory. I did no research on this at all. I'm just throwing it. <laughs> well, I did do research on this uh-huh. and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Well, <laughs> so, I, go. I will take your guess as to why. Yeah. That's my thought. Because if I was like, if I was like, I'm going to do this animated thing based on this other thing. Oh, this thing takes place in the UK. All right, let's give them some accents for reasons. <laughs> Just because I feel like it. Because you know, why not? 
Because why not? not? You know, this short spawned Sylvester as a monster, as a mutated beast. And I thought that it was really effective in its portrayal of creating a a monster out of a existing Looney Tune. Mm -hmm. And I, as a fan, was like, oh, I can see why they made two more of these with Mm -hmm. Bugs and Tweety mutating because you wanted to see your curiosity got the best of you and you wanted to see what they looked like as monsters as well. Mm -hmm. So that I think is the reason why you do two more of these. But the fact that I I think some of the best comedy comes whenever Sylvester turns back into his regular size in front of or behind um, Chester and then Chester just beats him Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, as like, Oh, I can take this guy. And he's not a real threat. But this did lead to Looney Tunes World of Mayhem, the mobile app game, adapting this character and uh, recently brought them into the game just for Halloween. And so you can unlock him now. That is a really fun design. And I think they nailed it. They did a really good job of capturing the mutated hands and claws and, you know, the, the tusks and everything that come out of Sylvester to make him that gruesome, grotesque. So I think it works, and I'm looking forward to uh, to downloading that character once I achieve that. <laughs> it's a delightful treat for this Halloween season. Indeed. I, I will, just to add to, you know, kind of doing this as a series, it's kind of one of those early explorations of alternate characters and something that's kind of big that is extremely popular now and things that, you know, it happened, a, I, I feel like it happened a lot more freely Um in the 60s and 70s in a lot of these places. I mean, especially if you look at Silver Age comics, a lot of wild stuff going down <laughs> in, in Silver Age comics. Like, there's no care, no, it's just, just a lot of wild abandon and trying to do different stuff, which is really fascinating. And I think that's part of the reason why it endures today, especially in sort of larger IPs, because, you know, the people making it now remember these variations and these experimentations of their childhood, and they want to try it themselves because it's fun. Absolutely. And if you want to watch Dr. Jerkle's Hide, that is on HBO Max under the Looney Tunes tab. And I believe you can also watch Hide and Hair as well as Hide and Go Tweet there. Uh, those are the three that he did. And I've been using the ter- the Bugs Bunny Hide version, which is Bugs all green. He looks hulkish. I've been using that meme for all of my She-Hulk responses. <laughs> and I just think it's delightful because he's giving a thumbs up. He's like, yes. That's cool. So that is a a big congratulations to Spike and Chester. I do not know for sure if they're going to be returning in Looney Tunes uh, cartoons. That's the current HBO Max series going on right now. Uh, But I do know that it has been a while since we've seen them because they did not appear in a big role in anything Looney related uh, for the past 20 years. So that is a really fascinating piece of trivia there. Uh, as they weren't in Wabbit or new Looney Tunes or uh, Looney Tunes show. So, you know, uh, we'll have to keep our eyes open if they're in Looney Tunes cartoons. And it'll be interesting to see if they do any sort of update to the dynamic or at least how they update the dynamic. Um, Exactly. I think they'll have to. Yeah, they have to. And that probably is part of the reason why they've been absent for a while is just figuring out the right way to do that. Um, Even though... Um, also, I want to hey shout out to the listeners if you've not watched the Looney Tunes show, pretty delightful. It's one of the I, just them in a sitcom is just a great, great. 
great premise. So again, another another win for the Illumini uh, faction of the uh, of the, the the old Warner Brothers IP house. And I want to give a shout out to all of my followers on Instagram who are liking the crap out of a witch hazel clip I posted last week. It is blowing up my Instagram, and I, I'm really thankful for that, but also I can see the love, and I will definitely be talking more about Looney Tunes show in the months to come, so look out for that as well. So I think that's, that covers it. Tomorrow, where can people find you online? You know, Twitter is a weird place now, but that's where I'm mostly as of now. <laughs> um, but also, any social media place where I'm at, it's at Misfits, M-I-S-F-I-T-S, Tamara, T-A-M-A-R-A. Um, and you'll, any projects I have, I'll be sharing and I'll live tweet random stuff I'm watching and I'll have really odd random thoughts. So, you know, feel free to come and follow me while you still can. While we're I really enjoy your <laughs> so, live tweets. I'm going to oh, miss you. that if you ever leave. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, it's that thing of like, I, you know, I don't want to be there, but also I don't want to be run off. So it's a very interesting juxtaposition of, you know, uh, feelings at this moment. And I'm also kind of stubborn and very justice minded. So probably not going anywhere for a minute anyways, out of spite. So come have fun <laughs> as I talk about random things like uh, what what great British Bake Off means when they say pudding. I don't know. It's not, <laughs> it's not what we mean when we say pudding. So always fascinating. The moral dilemma of our time yes. is whether or not should we stay on Twitter or not. It, it's <laughs> honestly a much bigger decision than it should be for this yeah. silly little little microblog uh, thing. But here we are, 2022, everybody. <laughs> and for the time being, you can follow me on Twitter over at OFC This Means Pod or on Instagram and Facebook at This Means Podcast. And don't forget, I also have a Patreon over at patreon.com backslash This Means Podcast, where you can get exclusives to interviews, co uh, commentaries, and new shows, if you like. And I will be doing Q&As if you're interested, and if you subscribe to a certain tier, I'll make new shows for that. So yes, if you want to support the podcast, I would appreciate a like or a comment. Uh, underneath this video or over on Apple iTunes because that's how people see and find the show and share it with your friends who are also Looney Tune fans or Looney minded like us. Five stars, everybody. And Five stars. <laughs> thank you, Tamara. Yes. And I thank you, Tamara, for being on this show. I really appreciate having you. And for my listeners out there, that's not all, folks. Stay Looney. Just as me, it'll, because he's so brave and strong. <laughs> yeah.